everyone, and welcome into a special episode of the Irish NFL show. I'm Colm Cronin, and delighted to welcome our next guest. It is a Colts fan. They're a team that we haven't discussed nearly enough, I think, on the show. So delighted to get the opportunity to chat to Ali Daly about the, the Colts. Ali, welcome to the Irish NFL show. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I don't get to talk about them enough, so. <laughs> well, they're, 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 it's an intriguing franchise and uh, we can. I'm so annoying for it, yeah. Nah, there's, there's always, there's kind of always something around the, the Colts, uh, one way or another. And maybe um, a bit like my Broncos, it hasn't been super positive over the last little while. Um, but we'll get into that, I suppose. One of the things that will probably be interesting to hear is like, how did you. How did you get into the NFL and how did you, uh, you know, get into this relationship with the Colts? Uh, it's really funny because I wish I had some sort of profound reason for it. Like she talked to a lot of people and they're like, oh, my parents lived over there or I visited there as a kid. But for me, it was, it was actually an American family who had moved where I live and where I grew up. About six or seven hundred people. So when someone my age moved, you'd always hang out with them. And he was from Minnesota, but his dad was from Wisconsin. So he they were huge Packers fans. And being, you know, a 10-year-old, I was like, well, I can't pick the same team as him. And being from Dublin, I picked a blue team. And I think the reason I picked the Colts at the time was I thought Peyton was a really funny name because I'd never heard of it before. So I thought Peyton Manning had a great name. And I just stuck with it. And then it just, I remember catching some games because I wasn't allowed to stay up for them, but I was watching them when we played Madden that whole time. And I was like, this is actually pretty cool. And it just kind of sowed a seat there that I kind of, as I got older, I started getting to watch the games a bit more and sneakily staying up for the Super Bowl. But it's kind of been that way since uh, nearly 20 years now. But uh, it's, I been, it's been a journey. And uh, yeah, I, I know that um, our own Brian O'Leary finds the name Kurt uh, hilarious because uh, it's, it's generally not something that you come across in Ireland. Though I yeah. I repeatedly pointed out to Brian, like Kurt Cobain. I mean, this is not a name we should be unfamiliar with. But anyway, so when, like it was the obviously the, the Peyton Manning era, but which, uh, which year was that, Ali? So that would have been around 2000 and three 2004 kind of time so we were actually pretty good around then yeah so you had money you had harrison you had oh it was just it was a good time and it was kind of nice to be getting into a team that were good as well because like i think before not to get too off topic but i think before dublin got really good at football again you know i was kind of commiserating a lot of the time I was mad at sports you know i'd watch anything and it was a big thing that uh you know, this team was winning as well and also losing. And I kind of felt that. So stuck. But uh, yeah. So yeah, like perennial kind of playoff contenders and obviously having, um, you know, so, some some success, div divisional success, championship success, even play, uh, Super Bowl success. Uh, talk, talk to me, was it like for, for you watching the team at that time, um, you mentioned some names, was it all about um, Peyton? Was it all about what Manning could do? Or, you know, I, I know sometimes 
you know, for any, you go across any sport that some people will say, you know, the superstar was there. I enjoyed, you know, watching um, whoever pick. It could be messy. But for me, mm-hmm. you know, I'm more intrigued by, I, I'm just interested in, I suppose, because at that time, so much of the Colts was around Manning. And was that it for you? Or, or where was your uh, kind of focus and interest? Yeah, I think for the most part, like growing up in Ireland, especially around then, there wasn't that much exposure to American football. So for me watching it, I didn't understand a great deal. And when I was playing Madden, the only thing I knew how to do was throw a big Hail Mary ball. That was all I ever did. So that was all I kind of continued to watch. And then when Manning was making those big throws to the outside and he had a wide receiver running up and catch it, that was the best thing in the world to me. The fact they could do that. And like, I didn't get to watch a lot of it in that time, but I was, my friend was like, oh, they did this and they did that. Cause I don't think we had any of the channels and there was no way of streaming it. So it was all kind of just word of mouth, which was, but it was really, really cool to kind of like, I don't think I don't think I grasped the gravity of winning a Super Bowl at that age, you know, because there's nothing at that scale here. So yeah, it's just insane. And I was like, there's that many people watching it. I was like, oh my god, that's crazy. And then all the big halftime shows, just the spectacle of it, kind of draws you in. And then as I got older, I started understanding more about the rules and stuff. And then I kind of fell off it for a few years because I was like, ah, that's a lot of effort to learn, you know. And for that kind of, so that, you know, because it, it was difficult, I think, in, in Ireland, like, there was this period, obviously, in the late 80s, early 90s, where we get the highlights. And then that ends on terrestrial television. And then, you know, the the NFL kind of returns to Sky. But unless you have a, a Sky subscription, which I didn't have at the time either, um, you know, and, and it's really in the era before kind of social media or streaming or anything like that. So it was difficult to keep up. But I'm wondering, like, in terms of that, the the first Super Bowl, um, the the win over the Bears, were were you even, were you able to watch that? Or was that just a case of finding out the the result the next day? I actually think what I did was I knew it was happening. Uh, I got up really early the next morning and we used to have our big old radio in the kitchen. It was a Coca-Cola can radio. And I remember turning that on and I was up early and I never got up early. And I was up and I was like, oh my God, we won. And my mom was like, who? <laughs> and it was just bad. And it was just pointing it out that way. Like, it's just alien now. Like, you couldn't see a kid doing that these days, you know? But, you know, and then you're talking to other people and you're like, oh, we're the best team in the world. And then people are like, well, does anyone else play in that league? And I was like, nope, best team in the world, world champion. That's it, you know? Yeah, the d- deferred kind of um, results was uh, is uh, is uh, an interesting uh, phenomenon, and um, you know, as you said, then you kind of had a period where you fall out, but then you you fall kind of back in and 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 um, are able to um, kind of follow on more. And I suppose uh, did it, was that aided by social media or what allowed you kind of to really get back in and and really be able to kind of really follow the the calls again. The season where we blew it for Andrew Luck, I was so amused that a team would intentionally kind of do bad, that the fans would be like, no, no, we need to lose. We need to draft this guy out of Stanford. He is the best thing that has ever happened. He's going to be great. And then to kind of flip the season, then go from a 2-14 season to an 11-5 season, I was like, what is this sport? And I've been back in like 100% since then. 
And so that was that was good. <laughs> yeah, like I mean that that's what's kind of that. I mean that for fans of other sports, like you know, you're 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 waiting on a takeover or you know some injection or in uh, influx of money a lot of the time in order to get good. But obviously, because of the draft, the NFL, you have that ability to go from Peyton Manning being kind of perennial playoff contenders um, to you know Peyton gets injured the uh, the the season goes absolutely terribly um, and you know for for you I suppose in terms of the the Andrew Luck years then um, were you were you able then to 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 watch games at that point or or were we still at a point where you're kind of reliant on uh, finding out the, the results later, or were you able to enjoy the magnificence of Andrew Luck's ability? Yeah, I, I watched a lot of games. I think that first season he played with us 2013, I believe, 2012-2013, uh, that season. Um, I think I watched every game. And I had just started college, and every Saturday or Sunday evening, I'd be sitting in the room and I'd be like, right, 6 p.m., let's go. And then if it was the late game, I still stayed up because he was just a joy to watch. And he brought this kind of like, the way he was with people, the stories you were hearing about him, picking up people after being sacked. It's just an all around great guy. And again, like coming from an environment where like, you don't draft people out of college, you know? That doesn't happen in any sports over here. I followed soccer and that doesn't happen there either. And the fact that you've had this guy just like, yeah, we're going to just blow a hole. Like we're, this season isn't going well. We'll just, it's fine. We'll get this guy in. And for him to come in and just inject that life back into this and it make us contenders again and carry an entire team, an entire offense on his back. It's just phenomenal. Like he, he really was phenomenal. And it's one of those things that like, I think his shock retirement, it was one of those, I get it. Well, I'm super glad like I got to see him play over in uh, London when the Colts played the Jags. We lost because, of course, we lost to the Jags. But... And, uh, you know, I, so you've talked about like, the, uh, you know, and he did. He put, he put a, a franchise uh, on his back. But obviously he had, you know, the, the initial kind of first three years where he's just exceptional um, and he arrives and he's everything kind of people kind of expected it in, in many ways, uh, especially because it didn't feel like maybe the Colts teams that Andrew Luck had were as talented offensively um, as the, the Peyton Manning um, Colts. But then the 2015 season happens and, you know, he, he only ends up playing seven games. Like what was what was that like to have gone from seeing this guy come in and you go? I think he was was he eleven and five in in each of his yeah. um his first three years? Yeah, his first three seasons, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, and twenty fourteen. Like it was bad. And and what was that like to just see that kind of um you know all change in in twenty fifteen? And um did you did you have any kind of any concerns at that point? Was that just like, oh, this is going to be, you know, obviously Andrew's gone down, the season's gone off the rails, but he'll be back next year and everything will be fine. Uh, I think by the time the sec the third season came around, I was quite, I was getting concerned, you know, because when you're shouting into a vacuum about these things and you don't have your uh, American football watching friends, who I did not 
to talk about these things. I got to the point where I was like, will somebody just draft someone or hire someone to protect that man? Because I had never seen anyone get hit so much and still get back up. And at that point, I think there was a lot of growing concern for for him there, you know, because he was getting injured and the way it is, you know, they'll just keep playing and they'll be like, oh, I'll probably be fine. And then you hear stories about him getting knocks to his stomach and then peeing blood and just all of the injuries and he sustained. And I think by the time he retired, I was like, yeah, I get it. You know, you were here, you were an asset. We didn't build around you. And that's kind of a fear I'd have if we draft someone this time around. But, you know, the pieces are there, but how are they going to utilize them? What are we going to do? Are these players going to want to stay after uh, that season we've just had? You know, so I'd, I'd always be concerned. So I'm trying not to get too excited about the prospect to get Will Lavis or CJ Stroud in because it's just, I've watched Andrew Luck be destroyed by the franchise and it's difficult to get my hopes up for that again. You know, you have these fresh young guys just in the door and uh, I don't know. I, I think it's a bit different now because we do have better pieces in place there, you know, like I think probably the only player you could really put your hand up for this year was uh, Robert Stewart, who was great, a great player. You're looking at your people, you're looking at the money Quentin Nelson's on, you're looking at the money the guys are on in general, and you're just kind of going, well, we need to do better, you know, if you've been paid that money. So, uh, I don't know, there's just so much to unpack about how we have unraveled, but I feel like it has all been down, downhill since Luck left. And, um, I'm just curious, have you listened to the Zach Kiefer podcast uh, about Andrew Luck that came out last summer? Yeah, I have, yeah. I really like Zach, yeah. And I mean, I thought that was interesting because it kind of captured the way in which the franchise left Andrew down on a, on a you know, as you kind of outlined, but Andrew was almost in some ways the architect of his own downfall as well. Like he, he just, the, the, the franchise did nothing to help him, but he was almost on that path to self-destruction. And it was just this almost perfect storm that led to this young talent, you know, walking, yeah. walking away at that point. And, you know, in terms then uh, of like what we have seen since Luck, and this is where, um, you know, I, I feel the um, the Broncos and the Colts have an awful lot in, in top and the, the retreads at, at, at quarterback and yeah. sold the story that this is going to be different. But, Hey, at least you guys have made the the playoffs. But like, ha, sure. who have um or what what have what have you actually enjoyed uh, over the the past few years? Um, the end of the season has been pretty good. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I think like I think this season I reached a point where I got so frustrated watching the games that I just I just I just couldn't be annoyed at it anymore. I was like, you know. It's just not going to be a good season, and that's fine. And then Frank was fired, and then I was like, well, you know, logically, this would be Boba Ventron coming in now, you know, that's going to happen. And then it was Jeff Saturday, and um, I think everyone was just kind of like, what? But, you know, it was a, it was a thing. I, I appreciated Jeff for what he did, you know, and I just don't think he's quite head coach material yet, personally, you know. And, and on the, the right thing... Do you like? What, do you have a, a an an opinion, a take, 
uh, as to why things went so wrong for the Colts this season. Because last offseason, the, the, the talk was that the Colts were going to win the division. Everyone looked at this and kind of said, well, Matt Ryan, you know, is an upgrade at QB and the Colts have a great offensive line and they have Jonathan Taylor and they're pretty solid um, on the, the um, defensive side of the ball. Where where did it all go wrong, Abby? I read a really interesting insight into this. I think it was Kevin Bowen recently enough was saying that like everyone was so concerned about what we were going to do at quarterback that nobody was watching the cracks that were forming everywhere else, you know? And I think that's the issue with quarterbacks is that they're in such a high pressure situation. And if your quarterback doesn't perform, that's the easy one to blame. You know, if your quarterback throws two or three picks, it's quarterback's fault, you know? It's not the people who weren't making room for him. It's not the blockers who weren't there for him, especially if you see a lot of scrambling in the pocket. And I think with the exception of Philip Rivers, we have had a good degree of that. I mean, I mean, I know Philip Rivers, don't get me wrong. He was great. He got us to the playoffs, but the man couldn't walk more than three steps backward ever. So, you know, but uh, yeah, I think, I think it was just, it was kind of a slow unraveling that happened really slowly and then all at once. And then when the wheels came off, there was nothing to hold the truck back. <laughs> nothing to hold it together. And I, I suppose just as a as a fan, what are your thoughts on the owner, Jim Irsay? I I like him in a lot of ways. But I also think he is He's very volatile in his decisions, and I feel that you can see the frustration coming out of Chris Ballard, especially in the most recent press conference. Like, I feel like it's made look like Chris has a say, but I think if Jim wants something, Jim gets it, you know? And you can see that happening, and I imagine that's frustrating, but, like, Ballard hasn't had a good record since he came in with us, and, you know, coming from the Chiefs, who, you know who did very well after he left. They were doing well while he was there too, but you know, they won a Super Bowl after he left. I think he had something to prove as well and prove that he can do it as a head coach. So I think there's a degree of stubbornness of him hanging out there. But I feel like it's a difficult franchise when it's family owned like that to kind of get in and have your say because the guy at the helm is, he takes it very personally what happens, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm had to set billion well, billionaires tend to get what billionaires want and, and whether that's always um the the right de- decision or, you know, that maybe he should t- take some time to reflect at times rather than kind of jump jumping in. But Yeah, I think so. You know, he he obviously he was the it, the driving force behind Saturday coming in as the interim head coach. Yes. There is there is now the head coaching search. Um, you know, Jeff Saturday is one of the candidates, and I, we were we were talking beforehand. I mean, that it would seem it would seem that I, I think this year most teams there there, and perhaps this is because there are five head coaching openings as opposed to nine last year, so maybe there was a bit more of a rush to get people in. But it feels like all the teams are interviewing a, a significant number of candidates. But it feels like the Colts are 
you know, have, have a longer list that, than most. And I, I'm interested in, like, is there is there somebody who's on the list that you would like to, to see get the job? Or is there somebody who isn't on the list and given the length of the list that you maybe you're surprised that they're not there? See, I think at the minute with the length of the list, it's kind of like swiping right and hoping something eventually matches, you know? I feel like the whole Josh McDaniels thing a few years back really hurt Ursa as a thing. And it was a little bit embarrassing to, you know, think you had someone sign and then just be like, oh yeah, no, I'm not coming. So that was a bit, you know, but I, I could talk about that all day. I just always need to mention it because it still hurts me. I was kind of excited for that. But... Well, I, 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 again, this is where Broncos calls overlap a bit. I would I would say that yeah I w- being left at the Ulster isn't wasn't good but given what I've seen what I saw Josh McDaniels do in Denver and what we have seen play out Vegas yeah he's he just doesn't seem like he's I just don't like him but you know it probably worked out for the best really that he has left well I think at the minute what would have made sense to me when Wright initially went out would have been to put someone on the staff already as your interim coach, you know? And I will sing the praises of Bubba Vetron till the day I die. The man is a genius. We have had such an overperforming special teams unit. And you know, years when our offensive line are really good, it's easy to forget that, but he is so good at what he does. And I feel like he will be a head coach somewhere within the next three or four years just because he has he's so intelligent in the things he decides in the plays he does everything even though he talks he's just it's just that kind of person and i would have really liked to see him being given a chance but i think by bringing in someone externally you're kind of showing you don't have the faith in your old stuff to carry it in because it would have made sense to keep someone on and be like hey we're a big family business kid supports you but we didn't get that and i understand you know jeff jeff has he's he's a cult you know but i feel like he just didn't have it was he wasn't qualified for the job and it would be great to see him brought on as a consultant or brought on to do some level of help but i feel like it's just it's a lot to expect someone pushing up for no coaching experience into hey this franchise is possibly going on fire help out and he just poured more petrol on it really, but he was very humble when, about it. So, you know, I I think there's a lot of, uh, he, he was very down to earth about it. He was very apologetic and he didn't want to come out all bravado and all, well, I'm actually great. You should just listen to me. He was more, I'm really sorry that happened. I judged that wrong. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said about someone who can admit their mistakes, I suppose. Bush, yeah. Um. Well, I, well, it's, it's it's it was an interesting contrast. I mean, we're we're recording this a couple of hours after um, Brennan Staley did his kind of end of season um, presser, and I I would say there there is a man who now maybe that says he you know he 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 knows that maybe his his seat is pretty hot and he doesn't want to admit error, but uh, certainly there was a man who refuse to kind of acknowledge any mistakes that were made so yeah that it, it is a very different uh, approach um and like I, I in terms then of like for next year like 
where where would you like to see that the Colts go in terms like the how, how like we we know Ballard is going to remain in situ, but like what do, what does this team do at head coach and at QB um, to 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 at least have a better year than the Colts had this year? Um, I think when you have a season this bad, it probably shouldn't be that difficult to make it slightly better next year. Um, the division in itself is always, you know, there's usually two our two bottom teams in the AFC South are generally two of the worst teams in the entire league. And, you know, that's fine. But it's really good to see that within a few years, the Jacks are doing so well for themselves. And I am just, I'm so glad that Trevor Lawrence has a head coach who actually cares about him, you know, because what he did the other night was special. It really was. And I think it's just, I think whoever we get in, I know everyone, I'm trying to actually stay away from the draft discourse this early because I will get invested in a player too much and then be disappointed when we don't draft them. But I I like CJ Stroud a lot. And I think regardless of what we do, there is quite a few good QB prospects in the draft this year. And I feel like even at number four, we should pull one of them, right? So I think that's what we do. We draft a QB and we build around them and we try, you know, even, you know, just win five games next year. That'd be nice. Well, I feel I feel like we need, there's the parts of a good team in there. You know, we've shown that over the last few years. There has been flashes of brilliance. There's been stuff like we beat the Bills in the regular season last year. We beat the Patriots. It was phenomenal. And the team was so good. Everything gelled together. Jonathan Taylor is on a different plane of existence. Um, but we need to show that we care enough to retain this talent and to also bring in new talent and build around them too. Because if we don't, we're going to be saying goodbye to a lot of people. And I think Bubbles and Trout's going to be one of the first out the door if we don't do that. I think if he doesn't go this off season, we'll be lucky enough but uh i think at the minute for me i'd like to see well eric the enemy is great right he would be great he has a history of ballard that would be nice he'd be a great head coach i think we need to get someone in who is an offensive coordinator because that's the that that was what really let us down this year you know and i just feel like potential is there you know you still have these big names you have Taylor moving off his rookie contract and at this point you wouldn't even blame him if he left I know he's injured now and that's obviously an issue but you've got Leonard as well who's injured and it was really nice that they were encouraging him just you know have his operations and get himself back better and he is he is a lot better he says he's feeling a lot better and I think the fact we've afforded him the time to recover kind of demonstrates that they're invested in him. And I hope we can continue to show players we're invested in them so they don't leave us. And, you know, I just think there's a lot of things to be fixed, but it's not going to happen with one off season. Well, not, not, not completely, though. I think that the Jags and the Giants show what can happen uh, in in one off season. I think the Eagles are an example of yeah. If you're if you're willing to make tough decisions, um, and and really own them and rip the bandaid off, 
you can turn a, a franchise around, you know, certainly in, in the NFL. And I, I find it interesting, you know, your willingness to, to talk about like, you know, drafting a QB because I think obviously this is an area where the Colts have excelled in, in the past. Um, but what is interesting and to, to me, and I love the back, the Rock has been the beneficiary of two of the Colts' number one overall pick, right? Uh, John Elway and, and that situation, Peyton Manning. But like you look at that kind of the three number one overall picks and you've got Elway, Manning and Andrew Luck. And I mean, in Elway and Manning, you have certainly two of the top 10 QEs that the league yeah. ever seen. And and ultimately, injuries ruin it for Andrew Luck, but incredible talent. But I'm wondering, like, do you, do you think the way things ended, and this is, we touched a little bit, but the way in which things ended with um, with Peyton and and with Andrew Luck meant that Jim Irsay went from a willingness to draft a QB and be patient um, and, and kind of a rebuild process to everything's in place and we just need a sticky band-aid and just put, put a Q, plug and play a QB and it'll be fine and it doesn't really matter who it is and it'll be okay because the other pieces are there. Can, like, are, is he willing to, to be patient, to bring in a, a QB and to build a, around it? Because, you know, while I would I would argue that the transition to the league is probably easier for QBs now than it was decades ago, it still takes a bit of time. I think this season... The difference is we're coming in from such a low position, whereas the last two seasons we would have been there, thereabouts with the playoffs. And I think it's probably a lot harder to justify starting from scratch with a QB when you're in that position, when your offensive line are on fire, when your defense is doing great every week, you know, when everything else is working. And that is that sticky band-aid situation, I think. They're like, okay, who can we get to put in so we can maybe win a playoff game? We can maybe wake it in the wildcard weekend. And I think there was an element to that there. Um, but I think this year is different in that we have performed so badly that if, you know, there's going to be teething pains. Like, I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the most recent example. That's great for that. You know, he had, he didn't do great his first season. But given the time to mature, to get used to it, to get used to the players, to have a coach that, you know, wanted him to perform well, to just have that support in place I think he's illustrated what he can do and I think that's what we need to do as well you know we need to take someone in who's willing to grow and learn with the franchise and I think the guys they're a great bunch of guys you know in that they will nurture that and you hear so like even watching hard knocks last year like it was just it was like a little family in the dressing room but I know American football is kind of that way as a sport which is another big appeal of it but I think this season, we don't we don't have anything to lose at the minute, you know? No one's expecting us to make the playoffs next year. Let's leverage that. <laughs> Let's just build back up and see where we get to because if we come second in the AFC said that'd be great. Yeah, I know I I, mean, I think it's gonna be really interesting because obviously you have the, the Jags who are kind of you, you imagine the most settled at this point right which is imagine saying that even two years ago right yeah. that the Jags are going to be the most settled team because they have a head coach who's previously won a Super Bowl who's now taken them to 
at least the divisional round. Yeah, it would yes. be a massive upset if they were to beat the Chiefs. But, you know, straight, stranger things have happened and we see Trevor Lawrence grow massively. The Titans are obviously have now appointed a GM, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens there because they've got decisions to make at, at quarterback. And for the Texans, well, the Texans are the, the Texans. And Buzz, I one of the things that, I mean, has even come out today. And again, it's difficult. You're always kind of reading cheesies a little bit, but I don't know if you saw Colin Cowherd kind of alluded to the fact that he was talking to Sean Payton, who interviewed um, with the Texans, and the fact that um, there seemed to be quite a lot of dysfunction even during uh, the meeting. Um, so, you know, you, you wonder, can can things ever um, get get sort of fixed uh, down there in, in Houston? So I, I, think, I, I, think, I think Houston have had a very rough few years, you know, it's just... How oh, the, the Sean Watson stuff, there's just been so much there, and you can understand how there is that negativity even from the backroom staff. I think they have a lot to do there, but like, you know, as long as we don't do worse than them, I think I'll kind of be okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's, I, yeah, I guess, I guess I, I, that's that's at least a building block, and then you then exactly. you can go, then you can go from there. Um, but Look for for everyone in the AFC. We're now in a situation where you have some incredibly talented young quarterbacks in order to compete. That's where you're going to have to be. I mean, you're you're looking. Patrick Mahomes is the oldest quarterback in the AFC going into this weekend in the playoffs, and he's 27. Uh, exactly. Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it, it's going to be a tough ask. That's what makes this um in interesting and. I suppose on that, Ali, just kind of looking at um, the, the rest of this season of the playoffs, um, it, it, do you have, um, is is there a, like from from maybe both uh, kind of co- conferences, who do, who do you have making the Super Bowl? I, again, I'm not going to be super surprised if the Jags win this weekend, just because, again, they have nothing to lose, you know? They're taking they're taking scalps, they're overturning deficits no one expected, and I feel like that fire that's under Trevor Lawrence is gonna carry him. Uh, I don't I don't feel like they'll go all the way, but I wouldn't rule out them just absolutely shocking the Chiefs. But uh, I think I think there's a lot there's a lot up in Buffalo there, and I I I wanted them to win last year as well, but I think this year there's just. Josh Allen is just so good, you know? He is just so, so good. And if I'm going to pick a team from the FC, it's going to be them, you know? I think they just perform it really well. They're kind of starting to hit a really good peak. I just, I can't really see past them. And then as far as the NFC goes, uh, the Eagles have been so good all year, right? Uh, it's just, uh, there's, there's no other way to put it. Just no other team has looked that good on paper. And the first few games, I was like, okay, the Eagles haven't lost yet. And then I remember watching highlights and I was like, oh, they're good. Oh, they've, which is, which is really nice. And I think like, that's, that's one of my favorite things about the NFL. Like one year a team sucks. And then the next year, you know, they make some changes and the coach, they move some things around and then they're like, oh, you yeah, know, we're contenders. 
Yeah, uh, and and I think what what's interesting in both the Bills and the Eagles is the way in which they have built around young QBs. Yes. So the the Bills went up to get Josh Allen, and then they built around him. And you saw, um, you know, for for the Eagles, they end up taking Hurts in the second. He ends up becoming the starter, but they have now built around him. They've given him the weapons, um, and he he has the line. So I think that. That that was my pick pre um, preseason was it would be the the Bills and, and the Eagles, um, I, and I think because you have like really good front offices. I mean, if you consider the way in which um, the Bills have been able to Joe Show, uh, Shane moves on to the Giants and they, they don't miss a beat on that. But I think both of those to me as well because the Bills kind of you go back to. Um, when they first appointed Sean McDermott and so many years of disappointment and McDermott comes in and Doug Whaley was actually the GM when McDermott was appointed they left him in situ um, to carry out the draft and then they moved on from him after the draft because he had done all the the work in relation to that but then um, they brought him by the bean and so things can change and and I suppose that will be what would be interesting to to see you know, what the Colts ultimately do at head coach and what that, you know, will uh, will mean for Chris Ballard and, and for uh, the, um, the the future of the the franchise. But um, so so for, for you next year, as long as you're not finishing bottom of the division, that's uh, that 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 that's progress of a sort. It is, but I suppose it's not finishing bottom of the division and actually, you know, trying to solve the quarterback situation with someone who is not in their late 30s. That would be super. That would be really good. Because I feel, I feel bad for Matt Ryan. I really do, you know. He's such a nice guy. And he just he just hasn't performed. And I don't think we'll ever know why, really. But, you know... The important thing is, like, but again, I, I, I really appreciate the level of humility that they all have, you know? It's just like, I did bad, I'm sorry. And there's no pointing fingers at anyone else, it's just owning that blame. And I think that's another thing, it's made it easy to kind of support them and go, well, what's going to happen next? But uh, yeah, you know, as long as we don't come last, that's pretty good. Yeah, the, 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 the Matt Ryan thing, I mean... It, is it just a case of a, a bit like infamously uh, Gary Neville realizing at a 20, 20 minutes in uh, to to a, the a game and just realizing that the winger had him um, just turned inside out? Have Rodgers and Brady kind of broken our brains in terms of thinking that quarterbacks can, oh, they can all play to a high level into their kind of, late late 30s early 40s and should we probably be looking more realistically at saying when guys get to 35 for the 98 percent of guys that's kind of going to be it at that point there there within the next few years there's going to be um, a steep decline i mean is that is is that where we should be actually looking yeah i think you know i think i think the quarterbacks that are coming up now are very different fundamentally to Brady and Rogers and you know I think 
I can't see them performing at that level for that long because it's just the difference in how the pocket is used, the difference in the movement, stuff you'd never see Rodgers or Brady do, you know? And they got good at what they did and they owned it. And I think so many quarterbacks tried to emulate that for years. And then you have Patrick Mahomes is always the best example. And he's just always there. He's always where he needs to be. He's always there making those crazy throws because his vision is incredible and his ability to find that gap. And I think it's going to be harder for him to perform at that level for longer because there's so much more movement involved in it. The older he gets, the more injuries he carries, the more that every hit that happens is going to set him back a little bit further, you know? And even to go back to Philip Rivers, just, you know, him getting tackles and that literally needing to be picked up because he was just broken from being hit for so long, man. I feel like this younger generation of quarterbacks, they can only operate at that level, that mobility for so long before it's just not going to be feasible long term. Uh, yeah, I mean, it will be interesting. It'll be really interesting to see. The other thing is, I suppose, there's so there's a lot more money in the game now than there was previously, yes. <laughs> and, and, and quarterbacks. So they have the uh, they have the option of, of potentially walking away earlier. And and obviously, we saw it with Andrew Luck, and we saw it with Luke Keekley, um, where guys decided like I've put my body on on the line for you know maybe a decade or or thereabouts, but getting to kind of be thirty and just say. I've earned my money. I, I've done what I needed to do, but I don't need to keep doing this. So it'll be, it will be fascinating to see if that continues as a, as a trend or, or not. And look, yeah. this is what, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I sincerely hope that like Andrew, look, I think he put himself, he put his body first, but he also put his mental health first. Um, I feel like at high levels of sports, it's so important to see someone like that. Just kind of go, I can't do this anymore. And that process that must go into rehabilitation all while, you know, you have a young child, you have a life outside of the game as well. And especially when I think he, he was a great example because you hear when the team traveled, he'd be like, oh, I'm going to hop over to like Paris for a day and take a look at the architecture. I think he just, he valued his himself so much more than just the game. And I think kind of taking that back and taking the money out of it, remembering that they're people as well, their dads, their brothers, their husbands, you know, they're not just quarterbacks. They're not just the face of a franchise. And I, I really hope that going forward, more players look at him for that kind of, well, he could step back in his coming back from injuries and go back into his prime and just go, I'm done. I feel like I feel like I was I was in tears at that press conference, but it was just the way he spoke and the way you know he just valued everything so much more than the game. Um, that's important too because at the end of the day, it's only a game. Yeah, uh, and and I think what was interesting, I suppose, with with Andrew Luck, whether it played a role, was his upbringing was different to a lot of the NFL guys. And if your your adulation on all the adulation you get and if your identity has been wrapped up entirely in playing the sport, you can see why it's difficult to, to walk away. 
But yeah, I, I think if they look if they look at him, that would be interesting. I suppose just to maybe finally, and 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 I don't know the like this, the, but given that you're you did work in the media, the way in which, and like we have seen some kind of interesting things happen with the the media and the way in which NFL insiders work and the way in which stories come out and um, you know the 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 access is so important. But the other piece is Andrew Luck was standing on the sidelines and that story got leaked. And so he didn't get to own that story. And we, you know, we heard, and, and I think a lot of that was probably shock from fans, right? Because they, they probably couldn't believe it. No, it was a, it was an immediate reaction. And as a result, they, they get judged. But as a result, Andrew Luck has to live with that response. And I, I'm just kind of interested in, in like your take on that as a, as a Coles fan. But as somebody who kind of has worked in in the media, because obviously whoever got that was was going to, but you know, I, I, like how how did the Colts allow that to leak? Given the the enormity of that announcement was going to be, and given the fact that Andrew Luck was standing right there on the sidelines, uh, I think it's it's inevitable in this day and age that. If things are always going to leak, you know, I think the age of social media has been great for a lot of things, but there's so much more citizen journalism. There's so much more. It would take one person to slap a picture and share it. And I think if it comes out, you're an official media source. The whoever it involves should be contacted, at least given a chance to voice their opinion. Whereas, you know, if someone puts a picture up on Twitter, I go, oh, gee, look what I just saw. There's so many questions around it, but I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, I think Andrew Luck and media in general, because he was notoriously, and he still doesn't have any social media profiles, at least that anyone knows about. And I think he was such a private person. And it, was, it was very disrespectful for something like that to come out, knowing he was that kind of private person and he didn't want his live broadcast. And like, you know, you look at, you look at Tom Brady this year, you look at his whole divorce being absolutely plastered on everything and he still needs to go out and perform on primetime TV. I think there should be an element of protection there that if someone's going through something, they're different entities, you know? But especially from working in the media, I just think if there's a story there, someone will put, put it out there. Someone will leak it. Someone will text someone and say, hey, I have a great story for you because it's just the way it is now. But yeah, I could I could go on about the media all day. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it is it's just fascinating the the way in which it works, and I suppose even the way in which you see somebody like because Justin Herbert is another QB who's obviously doesn't enjoy the media aspect, deliberately kind of stays out of it, doesn't have doesn't do the pub the the publicity yeah. side of things, and yet obviously you have people in the the media kind of leveraging and, and kind of creating this fake drama between Herbert and other QBs for, for their own ends, which like just seems, you know, kind of, kind of wrong that they, they do that. Like, I think you can have phenomenal conversations and I, I'm thinking even yesterday um, where Dan Orlovsky and the ESPN crew and Mina Kimes and, and the others on the panel had this phenomenal discussion about the 49ers and like the way in which they, their offense works. But then 
you go from that side of things with this really in-depth, interesting conversation to, um, you know, the the stuff around just making a name for yourself, like what you've been, what you were talking about there. But particularly, and and if it's a fan account, I I can understand that more than somebody who works in the area who's just going on and and but but hot taking pays well. There's there's a lot of money to be made in in this uh, industry now. Yeah, I think that's it. I know I, if there isn't a story, someone will make one up or someone will push two things together that aren't linked at all and be like, well, is that why that happened? And, you know, a lot of respect for anyone who stays out of it. And then you have other people who just completely lap it up. So I think it depends, but I think everyone should kind of have the right to keep things quiet and, you know, not have stories fabricated about it that will be pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, that 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 seems uh, like that. It should be a relatively simple thing, but um, I think you know, so. Yeah, you would think so. I it, that it's probably even more complicated than drafting the the right QB. But uh, look, Ali, for for right now, um, I, I want to thank you for chatting to me, uh, kind of offering, um, you know, your uh, your story on on how you became a fan and and your insights uh, into the the Colts. Uh, it will be fascinating to to see what happens, and uh, maybe we can uh, chat again over the summer when things are in place and just before the season starts, and uh, see what your thoughts are at that stage. Well, we have a coach and a QB. It's going to be good thoughts. 